1450 WKXL 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 1019 FM in the Manchester area. It's Kale and Company, and we are presented by Weed Family Automotive. They're located at 124 Store Street in Concord. You can call them for an appointment right now. 603-225-7988, weedfamilyautomotive.com. And joining me on this portion of Kale and Company is the executive editor of a terrific website, SoxProspects.com, Chris Hatfield. Chris, welcome back to the show. It's always a pleasure, Ken. And I feel bad because I, my understanding is you are, in fact, in New Hampshire right now and not where I'm usually talking to you this time of year down in Florida. Um, but so I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if it, if it turns out that you're missing out on the Fort Myers trip yet again, but always a pleasure <laughs> to talk some baseball, even in perhaps the weirdest of circumstances or, or maybe less often. No, no, no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, as we found out as of March 1st, uh, uh, major league baseball will be uh, shortened by at least two series or six games in, in most cases for teams due to the owner's lockout of the players and, and Chris, how, how do we get to this point, uh, the point where we are right now? Sure. Well, obviously, the, the impetus for the lockout was the fact that the collective bargaining agreement between the owners and players ran out uh, back in, it was November or December, the date doesn't necessarily matter. But uh, the owners instituted what they called a quote-unquote defensive lockout, which is basically, look, anything you read on this is a heck of a lot of PR. So anyone out there who's on, on Twitter or reading on the internet, make sure you're, you're reading with that sort of... Uh, analytical lens so to speak but uh yeah basically there's a lot of financial issues that the players and owners are pretty far apart on uh for example the uh, competitive so-called competitive balance tax which i'm i'm, I'm starting to take to just calling a luxury tax because that's what it is there's there's very little that that is competitive balance related about it um you know between that the of the, the players wanting to get Young players in MLB paid better because for the first three years of a player's career, they're basically paid the league minimum, which, you know, look, I'm not, I'm not saying we're talking poverty, poverty wages here, but, you know, the, the big ticket issue here is the fact that Major League Baseball as a business has seen its revenues increasing year over year and player pay has not kept up with that. In fact, player pay has decreased in, in the last four or five years. Uh, on, I believe it's, I believe it's the median uh, salary, but uh, I, I may be mistaken on that. And so the players, you know, look, I, I think I would say that they kind of sleepwalked through the last couple of CBA negotiations. They're focused on things like making sure they got their own seat on the bus during spring training and nonsense like that. And I think they kind of woke up and realized that, you know, the, the revenues in the game are increasing and their pay isn't. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people get really frustrated because they call it, you know, it's millionaires versus billionaires. But the fact of the matter is the money that's coming into the game, and you're going to have to give me this trash truck about to go by me here. Yeah. And, and, of, and of course, <laughs> yeah, and of course it's hard to project. I mean, you talk about the money that's coming in now and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. let, let's face it. I mean, uh, just uh, in the 2020 season, it was a 60 game season. And, and last, yep. last year, uh, many fans were locked out until, two or three months uh, into the season as well. Sure, but, sure. But it's hard to predict the future revenue because uh, there are so many now different, you know, television platforms or internet platforms, really, uh, the, you know, the streaming services that mm -hmm. are looking to get on board and spend more money uh, and get Major League Baseball games on their platforms. And they're talking 
expansion, and I think the expansion entry fee is what two billion dollars uh, per I, team. To put it this way, you and I couldn't combine and pay it. So put it that way. <laughs> that, that's for sure. I know I couldn't. I, yeah. I, I couldn't live up to my end of the bargain. So <laughs> me neither. So this this lockout began back on uh, December second officially, and yep. uh, wh- why why did it take so long for the two sides to come to the bargaining table in the first place? Well, you know, the owners instituted the lockout. I mean, it's probably going to come through a little bit that I'm, I'm, I'm more player side than anything on this. But, you know, just kind of the, looking at it neutrally, the owners locked the players out and then didn't do anything for 43 days. Uh, and that's that's really the big part of that. And this and look, I, you know, my day job, Ken, I'm an attorney, so I've, I've dealt with things like mediation and stuff like that. Right. But deals tend not to happen. This is human nature. They don't tend to happen unless you've got a deadline or you're up against something, right? I mean, that just tends to be how humans work, never mind negotiation, mm-hmm. right? Uh, unless there's some kind of external force or pressure to get a deal done, things tend not to happen because two sides, for example, in this case, the players and owners might, you know, really tend to hang on more to hold out for the best deal they can. Um, so eventually the owners did come to the table. Negotiations really we're very slow going. The sides remained far apart until about maybe a week, 10 days ago. Uh, and last week, the players and owners met every day. Um, then they met this past, they basically met every day through this past Tuesday, March the 1st, uh, to try and get a deal done. And, you know, again, it, it, based on reports that were coming out, it seemed like they were still far apart. Uh, Monday night, they, they met going into about three in the morning. The sides met about 12 or 13 times over the course of the day down in Jupiter, Florida, at, uh, at one of the MLB spring training complexes. And really, it, 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 you know, there, it, there were reports that there was momentum and that the sides were getting close and they might, they might get close to a deal. But unfortunately, what happened is it turned out they really weren't. It turned out that there might have been a little bit of spin, I think, because on some of the really important sort of financial pieces, of things, you know, again, the CBT, uh, the creation of a a pool of money for, for bonuses for pre-arbitration players, those players who only make the major league minimum. Those things, the size are really still millions and millions of dollars apart on. And and I think there was a little bit of, of strategy on the part of the owners that they thought they would kind of maybe not dupe the players into accepting a deal that was pretty far off from what they were asking for, but just thought they might wear them down, so to speak. And it turned out the players just held their ground. Um, it, you know, when you look at the, where the two sides deals are, it's still, you know, the play the, the competitive balance tax, for example, if it had kept up with just inflation yeah. or our, our league revenues since it was instituted, it would be close to 300 million right now. Mm. And the owner's proposal that they, they released that, you know, over the course of the next five years would rise from 220 million to about, 230 million. It just really wasn't moving very much at all. Right. And you look at things like that, it just, the sides are really far apart. And now things like Ken, I think are going to get even more complicated because as you're losing games, do the players say, Hey, you lock this out. We want to get paid. So now you're adding another wrinkle to the negotiations. that just makes things even more complicated. I don't think we're going to lose the entire season, but I, I think, you know, we're going to lose more than six games, put it that way. The sides remain pretty far apart. And unfortunately, Major League Baseball might not be something we have until about May again. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, what are what some of the aspects, uh, Chris, of this labor dispute that will be uh, the most difficult to negotiate? I just want anything having to do with money, obviously, right? Uh, one of them, like I said, is the competitive balance yeah. tax. 
Uh, the players want that to go up a lot higher than it is right now. I believe that they're asked, has it in about the 230 range uh, to start and then going up from there to maybe about 250? Like I said, the owners want to keep it down to between 220 and 230. Um, like I said, there's a cr the creation of a, a pre-arbitration bonus pool. The owners are at, I think they came up to about 30 million in their quote best and final offer before they uh, before they started to cancel games. The players, when they had been proposing the similar similar sort of pool, they were up around 100 million. I think they're down to about 80 million or so now. But again, that's a lot of money that the sides are a part on, and there's more about well, how many players are going to get that money, how do they get it, things like that. Um, the players had been wanting to get. Uh, arbitration players are sorry, getting pre-arb players to arbitration quicker because arbitration is really how you can start making some money. Uh, right now, the folks might know the term super two, and that's players with two years service time. The top 22% of those get uh, to arbitration before their third year of, or before having three years of service time. Excuse me. The players wanted to expand that number. They reportedly have come off of that and are willing to keep that where it is. But at one point they were saying, you know, 80, as many as 80% of players with two years service time would get to arbitration. And they came down to about 30 or so percent. And I believe the reporting at the end was that they, they were back to just saying, fine, you know, we'll keep super two where it is. But, you know, the, the big deal items for the players and really that the, that the sides are the furthest apart on are things like that that have to do with player pay. And, and the final thing is that the players are really, really kind of, pushing is this idea of, of competition and, and keeping teams from tanking. And so one thing that the, the sides have basically agreed on is that there's going to be a draft lottery in MLB going forward. Um, the question was how many teams were going to be in it that don't make the playoffs. I think they settled on about five or eight, but again, who knows what that's going to look like in the final deal um, to try and stop tanking. The players had really been trying to decrease the amount of money that is shared between the teams and the revenue sharing agreement in the MLB. I, I don't know where that wound up at the end. I, it seemed like that might be something the players were willing to let go on on this negotiation. And I think there's really a lot on the player side of just signaling things that are important to them that might be going forward. They, they kind of asked for the moon and the sun at the beginning. And what I think was more signaling than anything of just like, these are the things that are important to us. We know we're not going to get them all now, but FYI, this is what we're looking at. We don't care about seats on the bus anymore. Right. <laughs> so so, I, I mean, and the thing is, when you're talking about money, you've got 30 owners who treat this as it is a business. Um, the thing is, a lot of this is happening in, in the media and in PR. You know, we've got Ma Rob Manfred making statements like it's not, uh, I forget what the quote was, but something about how it's not a financially uh, positive investment to own a Major League Baseball team right now, which is ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. I mean, look, you can, you can do all kinds of accounting tricks and things like that, but the Atlanta Braves, which are the only MLB team that is at least in part publicly owned and therefore has to release its finances, their revenues were in the, around $70 million last year. Uh, and then you could do things like that, you know, depreciation of the stadium and stuff like that to make it look like, oh, we only, you know, operating income was $10 million. But if you look at the, what they released, it's more like seventy. And that's before you start counting things like revenue sharing, local TV deals, MLB advanced media, you know, MLB TV. You mentioned streaming. MLB was one of the pioneers of streaming, right. and, and that's really yeah. set the owners up well. And one thing that was really uh, reported online, I think yesterday, was that once the lockout ends, MLB is about to announce, you know, or is going to start announcing deals for things like streaming and things like that, probably in part to keep them out of the labor negotiations. 
So, you know, are they going to wind up on HBO Max or something? Who knows? Or Peacock or whatever. um, (laughs) These things are coming, and these are all revenue streams. And the more revenue streams that are coming in, the players want their cut. I understand it. I get why fans are irked by it. But at the same time, the pie is the pie. You know, and it's just, is it going to the owners? Is it going to the players? Uh, And and I think that they're going to have to hash that out, and it's going to take a minute. So most fans looking at it from afar wonder why – uh, the negotiations uh, broke off. I mean, uh, the artificial deadline at uh, 5 o'clock on March 1st, as it turned out, uh, why didn't they just uh, continue uh, to negotiate in Jupiter? Great question. Um, I mean, I think, look, I think when you're negotiating like that, they've been there since the previous Monday, right? So we're talking nine days of pretty intense negotiating. Um, sometimes you do have to get away from it for a little bit. You know, sides go back, caucus, talk to their people. And part of it, Ken, is that you just need you need to hit pain points is the term that, you know, you keep seeing used of, you know, look, missing games is going to hurt the players worse than the owners. But, you know, I think both sides have a feeling that the other side needs to, to feel it a little bit, to feel motivated to come back and make a better deal and, and drive the sides closer. Probably, close, you know, if you're a neutral fan, closer together, if you're on one of the sides, closer to your position. Right. And, and that's logical. Uh, I, I understand that. But, uh, you know, hopefully they get back at it sooner than later. You know, some of this is sort of arbitrary. Uh, you know, the deadline was an arbitrary deadline imposed by the owners. There's nothing anywhere that says the sides needed to have a deal by a certain point to not cancel games. Now, you know, realistically, do they need spring training, especially, you know, pitchers to ramp up? Yeah, sure. Do we have any agreement on how long that needs to be? No. <laughs> so, you know, it was a little bit arbitrary. But at the same time, I, I get, you know, taking a, a little bit off. Uh, hopefully they get back to the table sooner than later, though, because, of course, if they're not talking, there's no chance of a deal. If they're talking, at least, you know, we're getting closer. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Chris Hatfield with us, the executive editor of SoxProspects.com. Uh, also, as he mentioned, uh, an attorney and is, uh, you know, well-versed in, in these kinds of uh, negotiations, or at least more well-versed than most of us are. So how much of, of what actually uh, takes place in a game has been discussed, like, you know, pitch clock, uh, universal DH, and the like. Has there been any discussion on on those things? Well, so it's funny. Most of that is off the table. It seems like universal DH is is a guarantee at this point, which, you know, from my perspective, it's about time. Uh, Two leagues playing with two different sets of rules was always a little weird to me. But I'm sure there are some purists out there who who will mourn the age of pitchers hitting, you know, one something and being a relatively automatic out at the bottom of the order, but I digress. Um, yeah. So the universal DH is basically a done deal. All of the other things that MLB had been looking at are basically off the table right now. Those came off the table pretty quick when it was just clear that the sides really needed to focus on these financial issues that, uh, that, that were, they were pretty far apart on. One thing that came up at one point, you know, MLB uh, can institute with a year's notice any of these rules changes right now with the way the agreement goes or with the players. They had tried at one point to slip into, not slip in, but put into one of their uh, one of their offers that they would be able to institute any of these with like, I think 45 days notice, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. I mean, would that mean they could institute a rules change midseason, you know, after the all-star break, no more shift? I don't know. I don't know how that would have worked. And that was a little silly. And it almost seemed like more of a, a statement than something they were actually looking to get. Right. It seems like functionally you'd want to have a year's notice on these things. Um, but that seems like the only one right now. You know, I do think we're going to see a pitch clock before too long. Uh, it, you know, the testing in the minors, it, it, you know, players and teams that use it in the minors are now used to it. And 
I hadn't realized how long they've been using a pitch clock in the, in the minors. You know, guys like Francisco Lindor used a pitch clock in the minors. And this is a guy who's been in MLB long enough to get the free, get the free agency. Yeah. You know, this isn't something that only the, the rookies have used. This is something that a fair proportion of MLB players are used to at this point. So we'll have to see, you know, how long it takes to get some of these things in. You know, I think some of the more radical ones, I'm sure some of the listeners might be thinking of, you know, robot umps as something that there's been plenty of talk about. I don't think that that's even close to being ready for prime time. Um, MLB did expand the levels of the minors that we'll be experimenting with. And I think it's double A will be, or it's either double, no, the triple A West, I'm sorry. Uh, the Western triple A leagues, so not the one that the Worcester Red Sox play in, but the other triple A league is going to have um, the, the automatic strike zone, automated strike zone this year as MLB continues to tweak it. Because last year they tried it in, in one of the low A leagues, I believe. Mm-hmm. And what they learned was, oh, wait, pitchers at this level don't have good enough command and control to pitch to the legit real strike zone yet. So we need to kind of expand it, you know, walks skyrocketed in the first month of the season to the point the games were unwatchable. Um, so they, they realized, all right, the lower lower levels of the minors, if we're going to use this, we need to expand it. So they're going to try it in AAA, which makes sense, get another data point. Um, but that said, it's definitely not ready for prime time. That's not close, you know, shift type stuff. I don't think that's close. So on field, I think you're going to see a very similar product in, in for the near term. Like I said, maybe you'll get, uh, you're definitely going to get universal DH, maybe a pitch clock next year. But otherwise, I think things are going to be relatively status quo going forward in MLB at least. So when the 22, uh, 2022 season begins, whenever it does, mm-hmm. uh, there will be the DH in both leagues, correct? That's what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. obviously nothing's been announced because it'll be part of the CBA, but that, that had been agreed upon based on the reporting. All right. Now, how about postseason? Uh, I know Major League Baseball mm-hmm. wanted 14 mm-hmm. teams. It appears uh, now that uh, it's been settled on 12. Is that correct? Well, to the degree that anything has been settled upon, yeah. I think both numbers are in theory still on the table. The negotiations last week, I believe at one point the owners said, look, all right, here are two offers. One's got 14 team postseason, one's got a 12 team postseason. But with those, you know, the minimum salary, which is another thing I forgot, uh, you know, goes up to a certain amount. The other one, minimum salary goes up more if there's more teams in the postseason. The idea being, you know, look, I know from the fan perspective, we're all looking at this as, oh, more teams in the postseason. You know, we're talking about how the game is played. From the owner's side, this is about revenue. They've already got a deal in place with ESPN for the extra round of the playoffs where MLB gets another $100 million in the deal if the postseason expands to 14 teams, and it's believed it's going to expand to about, by about eight, uh, $85 million if there's 12. So that's where the incentive comes from the owners. This isn't about getting more teams in the playoffs. This is about cash money, mm. right? Um, the players are concerned about it because, in theory – if more teams get into the postseason, there's less incentive for teams to spend to make their teams better. You only need to be one of the top six or five teams in your league as opposed to one, or sorry, yeah, six or seven, sorry, teams in your league as opposed to one of the top five, right? So maybe you don't necessarily need to, you know, spend $20 million on that uh, starting pitcher. Maybe you can go a little bit cheaper and get the $10 million guy, et cetera. Um, that said, it does look like we're going to get at least 12. We'll have to see what the final deal looks like. I do think both numbers are still on the table, 12 teams being by far more likely. But depending on what the offer is, it could it could be 14. Uh, we'll just have to see uh, see what happens with that. But expanded postseason is basically a guarantee, basically because it's the only chip the players could really give. Um, they just didn't really have a lot to give to get anything in return. It's basically that 
and you're probably going to see advertisements on uniforms to create another revenue stream wow. for owners. So, no. um, you know, we're not talking anything gaudy or anything like that. I think it'd probably be something relatively similar to what, similar to what you have in the NBA with a small patch on a, right. on a shoulder. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think we're going to have, you, you know, soccer uniforms where the, the ad is the center of the uniform or anything like that. But um, yeah, I, I think that's probably coming to create another revenue stream because the players just didn't have much to give on. So those were kind of definitely coming because the owners wanted it. Chris Hatfield is our guest, the executive editor of SoxProspects.com. Going to take uh, just a quick break here on uh, Kale & Company on WKXL and NHTalkRadio.com and then right back with Chris Hatfield here on WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com. Welcome back. It is Kale & Company. Great to have you with us today on uh, AM 1450 WKXL 103.9 in the Capital Region, 101.9 in the Manchester area. We're presented by Weed Family Automotive. You can check them out at WeedFamilyAutomotive.com. Chris Hatfield is with us, executive editor of SoxProspects.com. And uh, so now let's uh, bring it around to minor league baseball. And how is the major league baseball work stoppage going to impact the minor league baseball season, which uh, will be getting underway despite all this uh, in early April? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the headline there, right, Ken, is that, you know, opening days for all these minor league teams, the full season affiliates will still be between April 5th and April 8th. So, you know, if you're in the Worcester area or the Portland area or the Manchester area, I guess would probably be the place to point out um, here. Those games, those seasons will be getting underway on time and you're going to see more or less the teams that you would have otherwise seen. I think the, the major way that the lockout is going to affect minor league baseball will be in mostly triple A, but I guess a little bit in double A where players who are on the 40 man roster are locked out. So for example, looking at the minor league system for the Red Sox, Guys on the 40-man roster like Jeter Downs, Jaron Duran, um, you know, pitchers like Cutter Crawford, Connor Siebold, they will not be playing for the Worcester Red Sox when the season opens because they are also locked out. Um, so I think AAA baseball in particular, you're going to see a lot of who, are the, who is this guy type situations where I think you're going to see a lot of minor league free agents signed for the purpose of filling out a AAA roster, honestly, uh, in the short term while the lockout is going on. Because if I'm the Red Sox, I don't necessarily want to have eight guys at each level playing a level up, right? I want to have the guys that would have been in double A and double A for the most part. You know, you might see some relievers playing up a level who go back down once the 40 man guys come back. Right. So that that's a little bit different, but you know, I don't think you're going to see Marcelo Meyer bumped up two levels to, to accommodate things, right? You want these guys playing where they would have otherwise been for their development. Um, so the, the major way is going to, you're going to see 40 man guys, uh, or not see 40-man guys, I guess, would be the way to put it, uh, to start the year. But otherwise, things will be about where they are. You know, uh, on our podcast, we looked at the AA and AAA rosters entering the season. You know, the Portland roster is more or less going to be the same. I mean, you're not going to see Jay Groom there, which I think is maybe the biggest thing uh, in terms of a pitcher they would have liked to have had. But, um, you know, AAA is where you're going to see it the most, especially the Red Sox. Worcester Red Sox rotation, you know, they had three guys in the 40-man who we projected there in, in, in Connor Siebold, Connor Crawford, for example, um, being there, uh, Josh Winkowski being the third. None of those guys will be there, but, you know, hopefully we'll get them back before too long. We've, I've been asked a few times on Twitter, could the teams, like, agree to let the minor leaguers play or something like that? That's not going to happen. 
Um, you know, the, the owners are locking out the 40 man guys. It's, they're not concerned right now with the development of guys on the 40 man. They're concerned about getting a deal done. So unfortunately yeah. might affect those guys and not ideal timing considering you've got a 2020 season that was wiped out a 2021 season that was, you know, they, they, they came in a, a month late, I believe. Uh, so this is going to be the third year in a row that the minor league season has been affected by outside forces. Certainly not ideal. And of course the contraction of, of, of short season baseball, basically uh, in the minor leagues creating fewer spots for minor leaguers. So tough time to be a minor leaguer at the moment, but you know, Hey, uh, dealing with adversity, maybe not the worst thing to, to learn to work through as you make your way up to the majors, I guess. So what about those players, Chris, uh, on the 40 man rosters, uh, not in the major leagues, uh, will they just uh, continue to, to work out and be as ready as possible to, to go to spring training when a deal is done? Is that, is that the, their only option? That's what they're going to have to do. Yeah. And in fact, it's kind of funny. Matt Barnes the other day on uh, Instagram live streamed the workout from Florida Gulf Coast University, which for those who don't know is in Fort Myers. And he was there with a number of other guys. Uh, he was there. Chris Sale pitched, uh, Nick Pavetta pitched, but then they also had guys there like Jay Groom and Josh Winkowski. Um, so I think, you know, the, the, the 40 man guys know they've got to be ready to go when this, when this breaks now, you know, now that we're losing games, I think you get into a very interesting situation where, you know, how ready do you stay? I forget which pitcher, the pitcher not on the Red Sox, but tweeted uh, a day ago, you know, after the good report, he had started to ramp up his throwing program and threw, you know, an aggressive bullpen or a live bullpen or something like that instead of just, you know, doing doing a, a lighter bullpen. And now we're, you know, hitting the reset button and, and putting the brakes on again. So. Um, you know, on our projections on the website right now, we've got five 40-man pitchers slated for Worcester and Seabold, Crawford, Winkowski, Edward Bizardo, and Phillips Valdez. You know, those guys are going to have to work out on their own and stay ready. Uh, same thing on the offensive side. You know, two catchers in Connor Wong and Ronaldo Hernandez. Um, the starting middle infield of Jeter Downs and Jonathan Aruz. Uh, Jaron Duran, of course. You know, all those guys are on the 40. And then in in Portland, like I mentioned, Jay Groom and Brian Bayo, who was arguably the breakout pitcher of the system last year. He's on the 40-man now. He, he can't report to minor league camp. He can't pitch in minor league season uh, until the lockout ends. So, you know, there's a bunch of guys who are going to be affected by this, unfortunately, and, and hopefully they're, you know, they're not even allowed to be in contact with the team. You would think that the team would have, uh, you know, hopefully gotten on the program and said, hey, do this. We'll see you when the lockout ends. Keep working and, and stay ready. So we'll have to see how how well these guys do on their own. So how do, how do you see all this unfolding when a deal is made uh, between Major League Baseball and the Players Association? Now the uh, the estimate that uh, players will have to spend in spring training is a month before they can ramp up for the regular season. But uh, do you think they will wait a, a month then have a you know a, a spring training with spring training games for a month before they actually? head north or how do you see it unfolding? That's an interesting question, Ken. And, you know, part of it's probably going to be how long it takes, you know, if we're only going to miss, uh, you know, uh, six days, six games. That's one thing. If we're a month in, you know, do they then wait another month? Uh, I think they probably do need at least three weeks given the whole situation with pitchers. Um, you know, one thing that I was talking about with, with the other guys at Sox prospects internally is do you see something like an expanded roster to mm. start the season? Now that we've got, sort of a precedent for that with the COVID pandemic, do they right. start the year with 30 guys, you know, just to get games out there, you know, so that you've got the extra pitchers because you're not going to run any starter out there for nine innings. 
<laughs> coming out of spring training this year, that's for sure. Uh, to the extent that's even a thing anymore, right? So you're going to want extra arms. You know, do they start with 30 for a month, ramp it down to 28, and then give that a couple more weeks before they're back down to 26? That seems likely, and that could affect how long they need for spring training. I think they need at least three weeks. But the fascinating thing to me is what happens with the minor leaguers. You know, what what do you do with Brian Bayo and Jay Groom? You're certainly not rushing them back, but you also want them to get reps. Um, so I think what, what they do with those guys is going to be very interesting and will probably vary from team to team. I could see the Red Sox going very easy on those guys and giving them four or five weeks, depending on how they look in camp and how ready they are, because they're not going to want them to break down. You look at Groom, a guy who's had Tommy John already. You know, that, that's not a guy you want to be taking chances with, although he looked pretty good in that live stream, uh, both, you know, throwing and, and you know, body-wise, because he's a big boy. Uh, it looked like he was staying in really good shape, which is good because that's an important thing for him in a regular year, never mind one where he's not allowed to have any contact with the team. So um, it's going to be very interesting. I think it's going to be dependent in, in no small part on when they get a deal done. But, um, you know, I think I think you need at least three. And I think they'd like four. But like I said, the longer they go, I think the shorter the shorter amount of time in spring training they'd be willing to deal with to get back out on the field. Chris Hatfield is with us from uh, Sox Prospects, Sox Prospects. Dot com and uh, a great, great uh, website for sure, and uh, please check it out. So uh, how about all the free agents? I'm not talking minor league free agents. I'm talking about big-name big name free agents that are still out there. I mean, a lot of wheeling and dealing and signings will have to take place in a, a very short amount of time. How do you, how do you see that uh, playing out? Well, it's funny. You've got people who say the Major League Baseball offseason is pretty slow and boring. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna be singing a different tune when this lockout ends because there's probably going to be a flurry of signings and acquisitions, the likes of which we've not seen in a while. I'm, I'm, maybe not not seen in a while because I think the the comparable is going to be the days leading up to the lockout, right? When we saw the Red Sox sign sign a couple guys and then swing a trade with the Brewers on on the day before the lockout was instituted. So uh, I think you're going to see another flurry. I mean, guys like Chris Bryant and Carlos Correa are still out there. You know, so once that, you know, are those the first dominoes to fall? There's plenty of other guys out there. Look at the Red Sox. They still need an outfielder. You know, do they go and make a push for the Japanese outfielder, Seiya Suzuki? Right. Uh, you know, do they try and bring back Kyle Schwarber? You know, there's there's another number of options they can go. We've got them projected to get a couple of, uh, sign a couple of relievers and pick up a couple of middle infielders as well, potentially. So they've got a lot of wheeling and dealing they need to do. So I, it's going to be a flurry of transactions. It's going to be uh, fascinating to watch how that brings up, winds up breaking down. It'll be exciting, but you know, it's it's going to be very interesting to see how teams work this, how quickly they, they get all these deals done. Is there going to be trading? Is there not? Is there going to be a rule five draft? How's that going to play in anything? They say there's going to be one, but that seems like something that might fall by the wayside. So who knows? Uh, who knows how that works out? It's going to be it's going to be fun to to watch for about a week or so and maybe longer. But uh, yeah, that's going to be a really interesting thing to keep an eye on when this all uh, gets settled. Is there a point, Chris, when you think casual fans are just going to stop caring altogether and, and just move on to other things? You know, the USFL is back, so I mean, there <laughs> there are other things out there. But you know, I mean, like diehards like you and me will probably you know we'll stick with it for sure. But uh, there are those casual fans who'll just move on to other things. 
Yeah, I mean, it certainly could. And, you know, the thing that I say, Ken, is that MLB's only competition isn't just the NBA and the NFL. MLB's competition is Fortnite. MLB's competition Mm. is Netflix. Yeah. You know, it's a MLB for, you know, maybe the kind of hardcore fans don't want to hear this. Major League Baseball is an entertainment product. That's what it is. You know, it's, it's a product that exists for entertainment and it's up against all of those. And I think the longer that they go without games, the worse it is for them. This is a game that already had some issues trying to bring fans in. You know, was it financially sound? Yep. Was it doing great in that sense? Absolutely. Was it in trouble? No. You know, people saying the death of baseball, that's not happening. But that said, you know, they definitely have issues with pace of play and things like that to try and make the game more exciting. They were already trying to work out. Losing games isn't going to help that. Uh, so they, they, I think both sides know that, and hopefully that creates some pressure to make a deal before too much longer. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's something they have to be mindful of, uh, losing the casual fan. You know, does a day at the ballpark not seem as interesting if you're like, oh, well, these guys don't care, you know, if, they, if you get that right or wrong impression of it. So, yeah, that's something they're going to have to work out, and, and hopefully for baseball's sake, the lockout and sooner than later, because that's that's concerning. Absolutely. I wonder, uh, you know, I'm just thinking about New England specifically and the teams you Mm -hmm. mentioned before, the Worcester Red Sox, the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, the the Portland Sea Dogs, and and so on down the line. Uh, I wonder if their attendance is going to uh, improve because of this, or are are people, you know, going to forget about baseball entirely? How do you see that uh, unfolding? (laughs) It's an interesting question, and, and, you know, I'd love if what happens is that you see more attendance at minor league games and more attention paid to the minor leagues, of course, right? Of course, the guy from the minor league website is going to say that. Um, it's interesting, if you look at our page hits on the website, they actually tend to go up and down with the major league team and not necessarily the minor league team. You know, we've got, unfortunately, experience in the past few years of, of the Red Sox being a last place team, and we've got experience with them being the best team in baseball, of course, right? And as the Major League team goes, so it seems tends to go interest in the Red Sox minor league system. And I I do fear a little bit that as interest in Major League Baseball goes, interest in the minor leagues might go. Uh, but I'm, I'm an optimist, Ken. I'm a, I'm a glass half full guy. And I really do hope that folks say, hey, I can't go to Fenway. Let me go up the road to this beautiful, beautiful new ballpark in Worcester. Which, you know, I think I've, I've said this on your show before for folks in the area who haven't gotten down there yet. Polar Park is ter- absolutely terrific place to watch a game. Yep. Um, and there's plenty of other places. I mean, Manchester's got a great park, you know, where the Fisher Cats play. They do. Um, yep. the, the Portland Sea Dogs, Hadlock Field's a great park, you know, and those are teams, you know, the Blue Jays system is one of the best in baseball. The Red Sox system is on the up and up, uh, or, you know, is coming up and, and really starting to improve by, by pretty big leaps under High Bloom's leadership. And I think fans really would be missing out to dismiss minor league baseball because of the major league baseball strike. It's, you know, people who are like, oh, I can't afford to bring my family to a game, go buy, you know, five to $10 tickets and a, you know, $2 hot dog and a $3 beer at a, at a Fisher cat game up at numbers, not official, of course, but you know, you can have a great day at the park with your entire family at these, at these parks. That's how I fell in love with the game. I lived in uh, Providence and had Sox season tickets one year after college. And, and that's, you know, a big part of why I love the minor leagues so much. So I really would encourage anyone listening to go check out and support these teams. Cause the, you know, it's for the most part, you know, some are, but these are independent owners. You know, this isn't necessarily the, the Boston Red Sox don't own the Worcester Red Sox. They don't own the Portland Sea Dogs, the Toronto Blue Jays don't own the Fisher Cats. 
Um, you know, go out and support these teams. These are local small businesses, kind of, really. I know it's weird to think of it that way, but uh, I really hope they, they do get the support of fans who are maybe missing Major League Baseball in their in their day-to-day. Well, of course, you're so right about uh, Polar Park being an outstanding facility. A lot of fun to watch a baseball game there. But you know what? Mm-hmm. A part of me still misses McCoy Stadium. I do. I, I loved McCoy mm-hmm. Stadium. Yeah, I mean, it was... Yep. <laughs> It was an interesting place. You know, it, it definitely did need some some upgrades. And even if the yep. Paw Sox had stayed in the area, they were getting a new park. Um, it was it was pretty charming. You know, it definitely wasn't Camden Yards, but it was, you know, it was it was it was very Pawtucket, put it that way. I think I think it fit the surroundings. <laughs> you know, maybe it would have been nice if it wasn't next to an industrial park. But yeah, I, I always have a, a soft spot for McCoy where I've seen, you know, plenty of plenty of minor league games and you know, heck I even saw Bob Dylan there once. So uh, you know, it was, it was it's, it's got a spot in my heart as well. Well, and, and you mentioned the Red Sox uh, farm system is moving up in the rankings. It was pretty mm-hmm. low not too long ago, but uh, uh, as you mentioned, Heim Bloom has uh, stepped in and uh, mm-hmm. and really uh, put the the system on the map. Where, where does it rank now in terms of just just other teams in their division in the American League East? Um, ooh, I, I know Baseball America in their full, you know, 30 team rankings had it ranked 11th uh-huh. in major league baseball. I don't remember off the top of my head. I know the blue Jays have one of the top farm systems in the game. Um, the O's have a top system. They've got Adley Rushman, who's considered by many folks to be the best prospect in baseball. And they've got Grayson Rodriguez considered by many to be the best pitching prospect in baseball, but maybe not quite the depth uh, that some other teams have. So those are two top systems as well. Um, you know, the Yankee system isn't quite the juggernaut it once was, but they've got, some, you know, really interesting guys at the top and, and you know, Anthony Volpe and, and Jason Dominguez. So those are all teams with pretty good systems and, and uh, and the Tampa, Tampa, you know, their, their system maybe isn't ranked quite as highly as it was, but that's because when you graduate one of the best prospects of the last decade and wander Franco, yeah, your, your farm system rank is going to go down and you're going to be okay with that. Right. Um, so it's, it's a division that has a lot of, really interesting future major leaguers in the farm systems for each team. Uh, that said, you know, the Red Sox, I think where BA had them at 11 is a little high uh, comparing to say Keith law from the athletic who had them 20th in baseball, which to me felt very low. I'd probably put them somewhere between the two rankings. And uh, I think it was Kylie McDaniel of ESPN that had them at 16 that that came out and, and we were kind of internally saying, yeah, that seems about right. Uh, you know, they've got more blue chippers at the top than they've had in some time. Uh, Tristan Casas and uh, Marcelo Meyer as kind of 1A and 1B at the top of the system is a heck of a one-two punch with uh, a great number three prospect. Uh, by most outlets, some, some even have them at number two ahead of Casas in Nick York. That's as good of a top three as they've had since probably 2015 or 16. You know, an era where we're talking about Yohan Moncada and Trebenetendi and Rafael Devers. So... Uh, you know, the system's coming up at the top and then the depth is certainly improving as well. You know, there are some guys who, you know, we've got in, in ranked in the teens, for example, Brandon Walter, who sort of came out of nowhere last year in a ball as an old fellow level guy who looked tremendous. And, you know, if he has, a, if he comes in 2022 and shows what he did last year, again, he could easily be a top 10 guy in the system and maybe be on the radar for, yeah. for top 100s and things like that. Um, the, the, the loss of the 2020 season is going to make prospect watching in 2022 fascinating. Yeah, you know, right. was Jeter Downs' bad 2021 indicative of what he is, or was it just he had a bad year, pushed pretty aggressively to AAA, coming off of a year when there were no games? 
so I think with all of these guys, we're taking an enormous grain of salt to see how they adjust in year two post-COVID. Uh, and, and so I think you're going to see a lot of shuffling of our rankings as the first month or so unfolds. I'm, I'm very happy to say we're heading to Fort Myers for spring training. Minor league spring training opens this weekend. So that's still happening. And we're going to get down there in, uh, I think, the last weekend of March. So folks, if they want to keep an eye on Sox Pros- at Sox Prospects on Twitter, I'm at, at SP Chris Hatfield. I'll be down there, and hopefully Ian Cundell, our director of scouting, will be able to make it. He's got uh, something he's dealing with right now that hopefully he should still be able to come, uh, at Ian Cundell uh, on Twitter. You know, we'll be down there uh, with Mike Andrews, the site's editor-in-chief, and uh, I believe James Dunn, who's also on ownership, will be able to come down as well. Uh, And we'll be, you know, scouting all the games and getting a lot of firsthand looks that we haven't been able to really get all in one place like that in a couple years. So we're really excited about it, and I'd be lying if I told you, Ken, if I if I told you that I wasn't just looking forward to it from a personal perspective. <laughs> I need some Florida sun in my life. But, I, I uh, can tell in your voice that you yeah, do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've, I've, missed, I've missed getting down. There's nothing like being out on the backfield. You know, yeah, folks, if you were true. planning on going down to Fort Myers and you're thinking about canceling your trip because of major league, the Major League lockout, think about going and watching the backfields where the minor leaguers are. Yeah. It's, it's a great time. Exactly. Chris Hatfield, always great to catch up. We appreciate your insight uh, very much, and have a great trip south. Thanks, man. I appreciate it, Kevin. We'll have to talk afterwards. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thanks. Chris Hatfield from SoxProspects.com. Terrific website rating all of the uh, Red Sox uh, minor leaguers and their projections uh, for the future. So thanks to uh, Chris Hatfield, their executive editor, here on uh, Kale & Company, AM 1450, WKXL 103.9 FM in the Capital Region. 1019 FM in the Manchester area, and always streaming at nhtalkradio.com. Welcome back to Kale and Company. It's great to have you with us today. And again, our thanks to uh, Chris Hatfield, who uh, joined us for the uh, lion's share, as it were, of uh, this program, talking about uh, what's going on with Major League Baseball. And right now, it ain't much. It's not much going on in Major League Baseball. The negotiations uh, broke off on March the 1st, and it's anyone's guess as to when uh, they will be resuming. On a positive note, want to congratulate head coach Duncan Walsh and the Concord High Crimson Tide hockey team. They recently completed an undefeated regular season. And now the postseason is upon us as we record this program on uh, Thursday, Oct- uh, Thursday, March the 3rd. On Saturday, March the 5th, the uh, Crimson Tide will be hosting their quarterfinal playoff game at the Everett Arena, 6 o'clock against the uh, Salem High Blue Devils, a team that gave the uh, Crimson Tide all they could handle uh, less than a week ago at the Everett Arena as Salem took Concord into overtime, but Concord finished the regular season in Division I play at 16-0-2 and now will be out to defend their championship crown, which they won uh, last season, defeating Salem in the championship game at the JFK Coliseum in uh, Manchester. This time, the uh, Division I championship game this year will be played at uh, SNHU Arena in Manchester, and that will be on the uh, 12th of March. We'll take a quick break and then wrap things up here on Kale & Company on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. 
Welcome back. We are certainly heading down the home stretch of Kale and Company here on WKXL 1039 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in the Manchester area. And uh, we are presented by Weed Family Automotive and WeedFamilyAutomotive.com. You can call them for an appointment right now. They're at 124 Store Street in Concord, 603-225-7988. Or uh, you can make an appointment online at WeedFamilyAutomotive.com. Again, our thanks to Chris Hatfield, the executive editor of SoxProspects.com, keeping you up to date on all the prospects in the uh, Red Sox organization. And don't forget, even though Major League Baseball season will not be starting on time, Minor League season will, and the Fisher Cats will be opening at home in Manchester on April the 12th. Thanks very much for joining us. Kale and Company, right here on WKXLNHTalkRadio.com.